Welcome to Bloody Mary, a podcast about horror movies and what they mean to us. I'm your host, Kristen Lighty, and I am very excited to announce that come November, I will be in Austin recording my very first album for Brandy Posey's record label, Burn This Records. That'll be November 3rd at Altercation Comedy Fest. It'll be Friday at 7 p.m. I would be so excited to see you there. And yeah, more details will be coming out about that. Christy Rhodes, famous punk rock artist, will be doing my cover art. So super excited. And I'm even more excited tonight. We have with us fellow Limestone comedian feature of this year. It's Nat. Natalie Bainter. Hello, Natalie. Hello. Uh, so exciting about your album. That's that's great. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so Natalie, we met this year in Bloomington, Indiana. It's true. We did. You saw yeah, me we cry were... in public. <laughs> hey, you know, it was a it was a really heartfelt, beautiful moment. And it, uh, was, it was, it was. That was also my first limestone. So I was all over the place. You were cool, calm and collected. We had some great conversations. Uh, we did. And I, it I was just a big weekend. <laughs> it was, it was so big. It felt like a, a marathon of comedy. Yes, certainly. I yeah, was lime- out of breath. Oh, for sure. Limestone is one of those festivals that I've always wanted to do. So getting to finally do it was Yay. really exciting. And I just want to cl- clarify, Natalie was not crying because of anything I said. She was crying. No. Because, uh, she had a moment <laughs> of remembrance of, with her grandfather. And, um, yes. Yeah. It was a really nice backstage moment. It would be great, though, if you had made me cry. And yet I did still come on the podcast. <laughs> like, is she going to confront me about how she made me cry? I'm or just your is she for a- life now. Yeah. Is she a glutton for punishment? Oh no! What would we uh, what would we fight about that I would have made you cry over? Let's uh, let's oh, hype God. up a feud, a beef, if you will. Uh, all I can think of is you saying something offensive about like a Polish food that I enjoy. I love, <laughs> <laughs> and me being like, "How can you say that about cabbage? I can't believe it." Okay, first off, I would never. Cabbage is so good. Um, But yeah, that's right. We bonded uh, because I have a new joke I've been running about my partner who is Polish and that his mother, when they chat, to me, it kind of sounds like two spoons in a garbage disposal. And, you know, I was nervous about telling that. I texted him. I'm like, is this okay? And what I'm sure he encouraged you. Oh, yeah. He laughs. He's like, that's hilarious. It's so good. It's so good. (laughs) I, I, that was like, you know, I think one of the best parts about comedy festivals is seeing people you haven't seen before and hearing jokes and that sometimes them being seemingly very personal that was a joke that I was very excited about because I was like oh yeah I know I know that sound well and it is a little scary or I can imagine how it would be if it's not your native language it's a also there's just like tough Polish women talking tough like when I think of the women in my family there is a lot of like warmth but there's the thing I think about first is like these women are tough, you know, and they're intimidating, <laughs> even the like nicer ones. So I think the language sometimes and the expressions supports that. So <laughs> yeah, that's a good analysis. I, I agree with all the women I've met as well. <laughs> so Natalie, I feel like I've been blabbing about myself. Why don't you tell the people a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure. So uh, I am a comedian in Bloomington, Indiana. Um, I am also a new farmer. What? Um, <laughs> my, I, I have been working 
I worked on a farm part-time for the past two summers, but this summer my partner and I are really trying to get our own farm off the ground and it's been slow going because life is very unpredictable. Um, but that is kind of a new and fun venture that hopefully will mean that we both won't have to work at corporations for the rest of our lives. And it's it's been going really well so far, despite uh, kind of getting off to a very late start. We didn't get things in the ground until 4th of July. You know, the corn is supposed to be knee high by the 4th of July. Oh, so yes. we were quite late. Um, but the thing about where we live is that with a little heat and a little water and some cultivation, shit just loves to grow. So uh, it's been really cool to see it become real. And I think we're going to, I don't know, the timing of things every time I try and put it into a time frame, I feel like things get pushed. But we are hoping to get like our branding together and come out with like an official name announcement and thing like that um in the next I'm just gonna say in the next few months that seems That's open so enough. cool that could be any time so, so do you live on the farm it's actually at my partner's parents property they built a house in what they assumed would be the country when my partner was growing up mm. um <laughs> it was all cornfields and they planted a bunch of trees and uh, that area became Carmel, Indiana, which is built up. And uh, yeah, you're nodding your head in uh, appreciation for just the name alone is uh, <laughs> it's it's a town that has a historic downtown that they didn't like the look of. So they rebuilt it into a historic downtown that they like, which just looks like a bank. Like it's a it's a very <laughs> it's a very weird place. But when my partner's parents were building this house, they were thinking about this sort of country, more country life for their kids outside of the city of Indianapolis. And uh, it just so happened that everything sort of built up around them. So they have this woods in the back of their property that they planted and subdivisions just sort of like grew up around it. The woods just like stops at a subdivision. And so we cleared some land there. I believe we're aiming to clear out two acres all in all, but we we don't have that much cleared out yet. It's oh my God, crazy. Natalie, I cannot even weed my yard. Um, I don't know how you're doing it. Well, uh, let me tell you, get a get a brush mower. Um, <laughs> Just take it all down. Yeah, it's either that or I will tell you what also works well, which we may end up employing is goats. Uh, oh. Goats, goats work very well. <laughs> oh, interesting. I do live in the city, but I feel like my neighbors would be into it. Yeah. How, how is it there with like, do people have like raised chickens or anything like in the city? Is it that kind of place? You know, some of my neighbors do for, for my friends do, but not really my close neighbors. I probably wouldn't be thrilled if they did just because I'm not an early riser. Uh, yeah. You know? But we do have like deer constantly are in my front yard and turkey. One time I came home and there were 27 turkeys in my front yard and I did not want to go home. I was kind of scared. Well, yeah. Oh my I gosh. Like, yeah, that's their dinosaurs house. in the yard. You got to get out of there. <laughs> yeah, I've seen Jurassic Park. I know how this goes yeah. down. 27 turkeys. That's, I don't, we don't get a lot of, um, we get a lot of deer. Bloomington. I sometimes say that like Bloomington is run by the deer, the crows, which we also have a lot of, and the skunks at a certain time of year. Mm. But yeah, we get a lot of deer, not a lot of turkeys in town, 
but you get a little outside of town and we've got some turkeys there. Mm, yeah, our turkeys are beginning to be a problem. Just like the oh. uh, the confidence they possess now is a little unnerving, you know? <laughs> yeah, they, well, and they're not, um, you know, they're not a shy animal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I do believe that it, the turkey, so we got the bald eagle, but I believe that Audubon and Ben Franklin wanted to make the turkey the national bird because of its aggressive uh, <laughs> bravery fighting off invaders. Uh, and because the the uh, the bald eagle was thought to be a scavenger and therefore like a, a cowardly bird, they were like, we should have the turkey because it fights. Oh, I had yeah. no idea. It's fascinating. Uh, little little tidbit there. Uh, I don't I think people just didn't go for the turkey because it's not the prettiest bird. You yeah. Know? Oh, I think they're turkey. very pretty, but, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I got to ask, what made you want to be a farmer? You know, I, I think that this is more for me, this is more of a supportive passion and a way to get at some things that are important to me and my partner. I would say it drives my partner a little bit more than it drives me, which is not to say that it doesn't drive me. It's just not part of it is that I just don't have the the mind for like creating a business and a I'm terrible with physical space. I don't know how else to say that. Like uh, <laughs> physical projects, physical space are not my, give me an abstract idea. Give me some fake space. I'm good. Give uh -huh. me real space and real objects. Like ask me to sew. Oh my God, it's, it's not going to happen. But yeah, I think, you know, he's always been really into gardening um, and I'm really into cooking. And once we started really growing a lot more of our own food, which he had done before, um, I never really had the space to until we moved in together. And it was during the pandemic that he brought his gardening back full force when we were like, you know, do you want to maybe we can like do this for real? Like mm. he's been working in the corporate world for a lot longer than I have. Or I should say like the non-academic work world because I was in that world for a while. So he's even more tired of it than I am. And I'm, I, it's, it's still pretty fresh to me, but I think he, uh, he's seeing how he doesn't want to put up with it anymore. And I don't really either, but this is also a way to be more integrated into the community, do something that you're not, you know, do something good that makes you proud. And that, you know, is, is goes beyond you. And you know, you're not just like working for someone else who may or may not be questionably <laughs> you know, involved in whatever. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a lot of things. I mean, doing comedy and farming, we'll see how that goes, but you don't farm at night. So True. hoping your schedule, schedule will be open. And you can nap in the day when you're done with your chores. Yeah. And it's definitely not going to be like a full-time thing for a while. It's got to be a part-time thing as we build up sort of what we're doing and figure out how much we can do. But eventually the goal is to have that be our work, our, our jobs and, and mm -hmm. to be sustained that way. So, you know, yeah, there's a lot of things that amazing, have to light up. Yeah. It's such an amazing thing to be self-sustainable like that too. Like yeah. I'm a liberal arts kid. So if I ever yep. lose my job in the union world, like, you know, end times I joke that does anyone need anyone to think critically about something? No. Oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> Oh, I relate to that. I relate to that a lot, Kristen. What I was just talking about, abstract space, abstract ideas, you know, that's the world I feel comfortable in. How do I sell that? You know, how do I? Oh, you don't want to think critically? Okay. 
Well, yeah, no great. one does anymore. It's no. scary out there. The dying desire. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you could do the podcast. I had so much fun talking to you in Bloomington. So now we get to continue that. About spooky things. Yeah. So, you know, how do you feel about horror movies overall as a genre? I absolutely love horror. I grew up in a incredibly strict evangelical Christian household where everything that I watched and read and did was very limited and monitored and checked. Mm-hmm and sources who were experts on what was good or evil would be consulted. Um, I think that the example that always makes it sort of really clear what it was like growing up in my household is uh, I loved the movie The Little Mermaid as a kid, and we had it on a VHS that my parents had taped, only my parents had cut out all the Ursula parts, so the story did not make any sense. Ursula. Well, she's evil. She's a witch. Not supposed to see any of that. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I'm like, is it also because she was based on a queer star? Like, did they know that? How much did they know that? But yeah, I mean, it wasn't until I saw... I think more of the movie at a friend's house that I really realized like, oh, I don't really know this story like at all because I missed like all of it. The, the shell, the voice, all that stuff. Like, I don't really, I don't really understand it. I mean, I was young enough that I suppose it didn't matter, but um, there was a lot of like that kind of censoring going on. So horror was definitely not something I was allowed to watch. Wait, um, so was The Little Mermaid to you just about a girl who had laryngitis? You know, it was a very confusing story. She was was sick, I guess. Then she wasn't. She fell in love. I don't know. It didn't make any sense. There was a crab there. He sang. I don't know. I also feel Uh, like there was a lot of um, foresight that went into that to actually make the tape and edit her out. Like, they put a lot of thought into that. Yeah, they were very thorough in their sense. Like, I think that is sort of something that feels more unique When I talk to other people who have like a similar background, it was often just like, I wasn't allowed to do this, but the like direct censoring, my mom would like take books. She, there was even like an illustrated version of the Bible that depicted Satan or the devil as like a dark cloud with a scary face. And she was like, that's too much. And whited that out. So like, (laughs) it was, it was very, you know. Um, it was thorough. It was precise. It was meticulous. This was not just like, you can't do anything. There was that, but there was also like, you can have some of this, you know, but not all of it. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't grow up watching horror and I also, I did not, um, grow up celebrating Halloween. Was not allowed to trick or treat. We went to hallelujah parties instead. Oh, wow. At church. Do you know about those? Only from King of the Hill. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So they were at church. There was often like a come to Jesus message. All uh, There was candy, but it was like you would, you know, play games. You could only dress up as Bible characters. There's like what? Nine women in the Bible. So my options were very limited. Um, we had fun uh, as much as we could. And while my parents were incredibly strict about stuff that they perceived or were told was evil, they also, my parents really like movies and they really like classic Hollywood. And so while I do feel like I did not get to experience a lot of things that other kids did, like trick-or-treating and Halloween and, you know, the full uncut version of The Little Mermaid, 
I did get kind of like we would there was a, a local program that would show classic movies every Friday night. And we would watch that all together as a family. And because of that, I ended up watching a lot. If it was old, it didn't matter if it was like murder or a little bit scary. Like I watched Hitchcock movies very young, for example. So the first horror movie, I know, right? Some of those movies are really scary. Mm -hmm. The first horror movie I probably ever watched, though it's not what I think other people would think of. it, It was probably Psycho. Oh, wow. That's a classic. Um, yeah, it's great. Uh, I rewatched that movie not too long ago and was like, this is super creepy, great movie that like I watched as a child. How old were you when you saw it? I don't know. I'd have to say probably like 10 or 11, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, my math may be off, but I know I wasn't yet a teenager um when and my parents were really obsessed with Hitchcock in particular like he was their favorite director so so wild that your family would edit out (laughs) Ursula but Norman Bates a-okay I know (laughs) I know yeah I I think like as a teen I I know I remember seeing The Shining and that was probably like at a friend's house or or on my own and being like, this is beautiful. I was already way obsessed with all of this like stuff that I wasn't supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious in regard to like your sort of, um, you know, I don't want to say rebelling exactly, but you know, becoming your own person and maybe, you know, loosening the control from your parents. When, when do you think that happened in your, in your teen years or? It was pretty gradual. Like I think about art in particular, I was always pretty defiant about that because I think that, I think it was the first fundamental thing that I really disagreed. I was a very obedient child, but it was the first fundamental thing that I disagreed with my parents about. You know, they had that idea about art that you'll just put out what you see or what you take in and that people are sort of susceptible that art can only be dangerous and people are susceptible to it. And there's no like middle ground between that. The art is either like not dangerous or dangerous. There's no room for interpretation or a more nuanced understanding of your experience with art. And I feel like my parents in their own strange way, like, like this thing about old movies, they, they really loved certain types of art and would get me to you know, you you should watch these Hitchcock movies because look at the artistry of this director. Notice the camera. You know, they are like talking about these things and it seemed like they were encouraging me to think critically in some ways about art and also to think about like how, you know, interpretation is, I don't know, a sacred process between like the, they weren't saying this, but it's sort of what I took from it that how can you say that art is just, it just does good or bad and there's nothing more going on and that like people are either going to be harmed by it or they're not. I feel like there's so much more to talk about and I just fundamentally disagree with that idea. I mean, and I was fighting against it like personally with like, why can't I read this book or like, why can't I watch this thing? You know, it doesn't make it even as a kid, like, A little later, I would be like, well, if we remove like this representation of evil or whatever, how are we going to understand like what that means or what that looks like? Like, it seems important to include that, even if it is scary, because, you know, scary, because uh, we need to understand, you know, what we're up against sort of thing. And like, that was always met with, you can't argue with your, with people who are just like, no, you're wrong, you know? 
um, or it's bad, it's bad. And they're never going to like get away from that basic argument. But yeah, I would say that art was like the way that it was probably like the biggest uh, like vector of my coming into my own person and not necessarily, like I said, discouraged by them, just sort of inconsistent. Mm -hmm. I I would say I had the same experience with my family. Like my mom would try to be strict, like no watching the Simpsons. And that would last like a week before I'd just break her. (laughs) I love what you said so much about interpretation is a sacred process. Cause I feel like you're, you're spot on with this idea of, you know, deciphering the world around you and coming to understand what it means through your own lens is how you become a person. Absolutely. We, what, like right now, especially with the whitewashing of history, if we do that and we whitewash evil away, you know, I just, I think it really speaks to our times right now. So thank you for that statement. I wrote it in my notebook. Sure. So for us to talk about tonight, Natalie has chosen the Japanese 1977 film House, which she is, you can't see, but she's sporting the background of, and it delighted me when I clicked her into the Zoom room. So very fun. Uh, For those of you not familiar with House, it is the story of Gorgeous, a young girl who her father is about to remarry and she's not thrilled with it. So she's like, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to my aunt's house because I miss my mom and I'm mad at my dad. And you know, I'm going to bring my six friends with me. And then they realize the house is haunted. The aunt is haunted. Everything is haunted. Uh, And this movie, ah, man, so fun. So fun. Such a great pick. Natalie, what made you pick house? Well, you said it when you said fun. I mean, I love how giddily this movie just plays, how playful it is, how much it plays with just the idea of a movie and what a movie should be. Um, There's all these beautiful and ridiculous experimental techniques and very much this sort of like childlike playfulness in the movie, even as like there are some scary things happening. It's very goofy and it's very much like, oh, real? Realism? Real life? I don't care about any of that. I'm going to have some fun. Um, And it's going to look cool while I, you know, while I do it. So I tend to, it's funny because this movie, well, I guess in some ways it's a lot like if I were going to say like which types of horror movies I like best. I mean, what I want when I watch a movie is an experience. And whether that is a really visually forward experience like this movie, or it's something more atmospheric. I like being scared. And I always have in the way that you know, it's it's fun and it can be exciting to be scared by art or by play, right? There's obviously plenty of stuff in real life that is genuinely horrifying, but in the specific way that involves art or playing, it makes you feel alive. Like you feel something and you have an experience and sometimes that experience is really specific and like nerve wracking, like a movie like Hush or something where you're like, oh, my God, this is such a stressful. But wow, what an experience. Look at this person going through this experience. And sometimes it's just like, whoa, my eyes are seeing so many different techniques and colors and playing. And I'm just I don't even know how they did that, but I'm I'm loving every minute of it. I I want movies to like, yeah, give me an experience. And I love it when movies are not concerned with necessarily just showing me something that looks real as much as they are giving me an experience. The experience can be can be about like, like, it's not that I don't like things that are 
realistic. It's just, I, I do love when a movie says, I just want you to see this stuff. I want you to go to this wild world where nothing looks real. And this movie is definitely that. <laughs> the magical realism of it is very childlike, but it's, I don't know, it's endearing in a way where it doesn't feel cheesy. You know, it feels yes. very inviting and fun. Yes. And I think that another big thing that I love about this movie and that maybe is part of the reason why it doesn't feel cheesy is that a lot of these ideas came from a child. Like mm -hmm. the director asking his daughter, what what kind of a story would you find interesting or spooky? I was watching the sort of making of the movie ahead of time. I had I can't believe I never watched it before, but you know, to kind of find out more. I had heard that he had asked her, you know, what what kind of a movie would you make or what kind of a story would you tell? And she came up with specific ideas that did make it into the movie and she's credited for them, which hell yeah, we love that. Yeah. But um, a lot of them are from her life. Like there was a creepy clock at her grandfather's house in the country. When she was little, the futons were too heavy for her to lift. So the idea of them like smothering her or like falling on her was like came from her real life experience. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And like, I think the uh, the first idea that he talks about in the making of that she shared was you know, it would be really creepy. She was looking in the mirror and brushing her hair like gorgeous is. And she said, it would be really creepy if my reflection in the mirror attacked me, which like, that's just a classic mirrors <laughs> in movies, your reflection, your double, whatever. That's a, she's tapping into like an ancient idea, but it's also like, what would that look like in this world? And I do think that is the scariest part of the movie. I will say, I think the reason why it doesn't feel cheesy or like a kid trying to understand what a or uh, sorry, an adult trying to make something for kids is it came from her mind, you know, I just love that 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 idea that he he wanted her to be involved and also that he valued the ideas that she had and wanted to honor them by making, you know, seriously honor them by making that a part of the creative process. And I think, oh, the piano, that's the other one I couldn't remember. Oh, she yeah. played the piano and she had a strict piano teacher who was always like, you got to do the fingering right while she was just sort of getting into the spirit. You know, it's that like constraint or that flow of creativity. Like both are so important for art, right? Mm -hmm. But her teacher was like, you got to get the fingering right. And she would smack her hands when she wouldn't. So like piano oh. playing was kind of like a painful and stressful experience and then she said one day her fingers got caught in the keys and she felt like the piano was kind of attacking her or like she was trapped that definitely makes it into the movie and it's yeah oh wow that's crazy. terrifying yeah. yeah oh what a wonderful relationship between father and daughter that you would like incorporate your daughter's ideas into your movie yeah at 10 at 10 years old and I mean you've got a studio and all these sorts of ideas, the adult world, the pressures of the adult world. And he was like, you know what? I'm going to ask my daughter what she would like to do. The studio is asking me to make a movie that will be popular. I'm going to ask her what she would like to see. And I think from everything that I've read and seen, the movie was really popular with kids. Yeah, um, it was like a best or a, a box office hit in Japan, which kind of blew me away because it is weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the critics were by and large either like didn't know what to say or like hated it. And the studio mm -hmm. was like, we didn't want a hit like this, not like this, not like this one, <laughs> you know, uh, but it's like, I don't know. 
it, it's so clear that everyone involved was having fun making it too. And I think that is also part of why it feels the way that it does. It feels fun. It does. And you know, it kind of had that same DIY vibe as like Night of the Living Dead, where like Romero was like, hey, I'm making a movie. You want to be in it? Yes. <laughs> yes. Know? Yeah. And I, I think uh, the director at some point said like, basically, this is a movie that I made with all of my friends. And that's a very different thing where then somebody's setting out to be like, which is fine too. Obviously, it's fine to make serious movies and realistic movies. It's just especially when you are thinking about someone's professional career and deciding to be thought of seriously or to be thought of well and who they're going to aim for with that is like kids and anyone else who would be into it versus like film critics and the intellectuals and whatever like this was his first movie too that's the other thing is you know it's like how do you come out of the gate as a as a director you want people to watch your movies and pay attention to you and hopefully like take note. Um, but he was thinking about people enjoying the movie. And I think there are some things that he wanted to say as well, but they, his, his main goal seemed to be enjoy the movie for specifically the younger generation to have something to enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do enjoy that first screen where it says like, it's a movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes. Just, just so you know, it's mm -hmm. a movie. Don't yeah. Do you think his intent with that was, like you said, just have fun with it? Or I, He talked about that, um, specifically that choice. I think if I recall, if I'm sort of um, paraphrasing him correctly, he said that he put that there to remind people that like films could also be like this or that like there was an idea about, especially in Japanese film at the time, about what a film should be, what it should do what it should be about, how it should be constructed, how it should look, and that he felt like that was all fine, but young people had kind of stopped going to the theaters because there wasn't really anything like interesting for them in the cinema of the time. And he he wanted to show and make a movie that said, this is also a, a film lover's movie or like this is a, a movie from somebody who loves movies. This is also what it looks like to make a movie. And I think one thing that I definitely thought of you when I was watching that, that he, he really hit on was realism doesn't always, first of all, it's obsessed with what it can explain. And he said the power of film is to is just to show the inexplicable or to like take you to the inexplicable. I thought, well, that's certainly what this film is like. And also that in doing that with all these different techniques that he he wanted specifically to show like the the seams and the sewing, that it's not a seamless, you know, film is all this like cutting together of images that ends up making things flow and seamless and move in this way that is that feels continuous. And he wanted really to show the the energy and the labor and the passion that goes into just like throwing things like, is this what's going to happen when we try doing it this way? You know, mm. which I thought, you know, you get to be an adult and you get to think you're good at something or you're interested in something and you it's hard to remind yourself to like try new things or try things in new ways. And I think that was another thing of interest to him was this is people aren't making movies this way, but they can and they should. And I want you to see that in every frame that like, we're trying something today. We're trying this technique. We're going to try all these different techniques. And he said he didn't know if they would work. You know, he didn't know <laughs> what was going to 
happen, but that that was part of the joy of making movies and that uh, he wanted that to be explicit in the movie, you know, not yeah. hidden under the seams. <laughs> I, I, I love so much, like from the production end of things to the story itself, like it does not trivialize young women or young yes. girls, you know, yes. it really um, tells their story in such a valuable way and, you know, makes them the main character without yes. any, you know, total Bechtel test passing flying colors. Yes, you know? yes, totally. <laughs> yes, I hadn't even thought about that, but absolutely. But the other thing I love so much is it's just this idea kind of like you pointed out, like as we age, we, you know, we are almost... um ruined by our own hubris in some ways like we think so highly of ourselves sometimes yeah. and I feel like comedy in a way like being okay with bombing just made my mind like open up and like knowing it's okay to be wrong has been forever oh, yes. life-changing and I think now that makes my brain stay young because it's okay to wonder it's okay to be wrong it's okay to get conflicting opinions or you know and it just no this movie really resonated with that for me yeah, totally. Totally. I, I think <laughs> so funny. I did like, I'm not going to say what they are, but I had like three very cringe things happen like before I got on this call with you and was definitely oh, no. like feeling that feeling of like, well, it's uh, I made some mistakes and I'm it's all out there, but it's all going to be okay. You know, that feeling where you're just sort of like feeling exposed, but then also laughing at yourself because you're just a person trying to make it and it, none of it really matters. And it, it is that like spirit of bombing where like sometimes it's that like life is just so bad or so wild that day that you're like, what else get it? You know, and then other times you put yourself in those situations where you're like, I shouldn't have said that, but I did. Now mm -hmm. I have to deal with it. And I uh, <laughs> feel stupid, but uh, here we are. Tomorrow's another day, you know. And I, I can think about it all while I'm trying to go to sleep. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. Ugh, yeah, sleeping. I don't know. It just seems like, especially as somebody, I don't know, I, I would say that comedy helps and things like this movie help, but I, I have a hard time you know, that critical thinking brain has its benefits and it has its drawbacks and that training has its benefits and drawbacks. Like I would say that I have a hard time getting into that spontaneous spirit that is so much the heart of this movie. And I love things that, and people too, like I love my friends who are more like that. I try to keep all that close to me and like learn from it, even though it doesn't feel always natural. I know that I could do it once as a child, or I, I could, I can still tap into that, even though day to day, sometimes, yeah, that adult bullshit, for lack of a better phrase, is like, it's very loud, and it feels very important. And it's not, you know, yeah. So I think that's another reason why I appreciate this movie is just the the spirit of it is so healthy to me. And so much something that I, I really, <laughs> like, try to work on. And know I no, I fail at it all the time, but you're trying, you're trying. Not all the time. <laughs> Not all the time, but I only mean like in a, in a repeated way, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like that it's, you're going to try and you're going to fail to live spontaneously or like to to um not let the fear or like that loud bullshit noise stop you from, I don't know. It's not even like I'm afraid so much as I just, sometimes I just really find it hard to to make spontaneous choices. I envy our our improv brethren for being able to do that. Tyler, we'll edit that out. No, I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> I was like, we'll see. This is go one of two ways. Um, no, but really saying. like that, that, um, that freedom is very, I admire and desire that quality. I, I love that in people. Yeah. It's just, I think on and off stage, it's something that I feel is an area of needs improvement yeah. uh, for myself. I think we all do because we get stuck in our ways and yeah, it's not good for our brains. I actually, I did take an improv no. class uh, when I moved back to Green Bay because oh, I wanted to be more comfortable on stage and doing crowd work and being in the moment. And uh, it was terrifying, you know, like yeah. I, I could feel my heart just racing because I didn't have oh, the yeah. comfort of my material. And then at one point, he, um, the teacher asked me to act something out. And so I did. And then I just said, okay, I'm done. And he's like, well, you, you didn't use all the time. And I'm like, but I'm done. (laughs) That was like apparently a big no-no in the world of improv. Oh my gosh. But I totally sympathize with that. And I, when I talk to, uh, you know, people who do improv say, how can you do stand-up? You're just there by yourself. You know, you're, you're, it's just you up there. Doesn't that make you frightened? I'm like, no, because when I go to bed, I only have to answer to myself and I have to deal with her all the time. So I'm pretty used to it. Um, (laughs) The people in the audience, I might not ever have to see them again. Not not a big deal. If I say back to them, you know, how do you do it with other people who like you can let down at any moment in the show? Like you can mess it up. You can you can uh, mess up the flow or like take it somewhere where it doesn't go anywhere. Like, you know just classic trust issues sort of thing. But it's like, (laughs) you know, that that to me is scarier because like you said, you don't have the comfort of your material, which like it's not just comfort. It's like your compass because like you wrote it and you're passionate about it for, you know, whatever reason like that, that gives you a purpose that even if people don't laugh, you're like, I'm going to work on that. Either either you're going to be like, okay, you're right that joke never mind or you're going to be like no I believe in this and I care about this enough that I'm going to keep working on it or you know today you're all wrong because normally people laugh at that you know whatever it is like you have that guiding you delusion (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) but you know in improv it's like oh we all got to work together a group project oh no Uh, oh you were in group project I was and you probably were too the one that does all the work and lets everyone put their name on it just so you know it's done well yep oh yeah lots of that I think we have too much control issues for improv yeah I mean I I could start a team and we could just know but each other (laughs) (laughs) no but Yeah, control issues might be a good name for our troop. Uh, I'm really like glad to hear that you took a class because it it is something that I have thought a lot about doing. But I'm also, again, control issues. I've been like really selective about who I would want to take it from. And also it's like anywhere that I would take it, I would have to go. There's no improv class in Bloomington that would be available to me. So I would have to really like planet. I really should have seized the opportunity to do some stuff during the pandemic when things were, you know, virtual. I'm sure somebody would say, well, that's not the same, but I could have done something. So many people found new skills and did things during the p- pandemic. I was just depressed. Hey, that, you know, that's a full time. Yeah, that's a full time job. <laughs> oh, and man. perfectly, perfectly valid, especially, you know, when you're cooped up. Agreed. 
So what themes jumped out to you in house? I know we, we talk quite a bit about like the childlike qualities and the production end of things, but I feel like there's a lot of themes in here. Oh yeah. I've seen this movie so many times and I, it's definitely a movie that I show to other people where I'm like, do you like weird shit? Do you (laughs) like cats? All right. (laughs) Do you like ghosts? Come with me. I think on this viewing and maybe it's just because um, it's, you know, in the cultural conversation, pretty out front right now. Um, The big war, the big bomb. I think most of the Japanese movies and art that I've seen have all been post-war and I feel like it's never not a theme, but Mm -hmm. it's pretty explicitly a theme here. And I also didn't know until watching that making of that all of the directors, all of his childhood friends died in the war. Like, so that kind of puts a different light on the everything we've been talking about so far with the sort of childlike mm-hmm. aspect of it. And also like the way initially this time I was thinking about, you know, oh, young unmarried girls will get into trouble if you're not married. But then I think about her mom. She got married. She died. Yeah. Just sort of like uh, war literally ruins futures and makes monstrous futures for people who are innocent and unsuspecting and don't deserve it. And I feel like that's part of part of what goes on in the movie. And then also that like the aunt, you know, her partner was taken away from her because of the war and the girls being born after have no concept of like what it was like to live through that. And her sort of like evil ghost, the cruelty of that um, sort of twisted her into this evil spirit who like, yeah, she's going to take some vengeance on these girls who have no idea what what that was like, you know. What it was like to live during wartime and to have like the people that you care about be destroyed and also your future taken from you, everything that you wanted taken from you. So yeah, that really um that really stood out this time, the big bomb, big war. Um, I also felt like maybe there was an envy to children who had not grown up, you know, during a war where all their friends sure. died. Uh, and it almost comes off a little bit callous, like when Mac is saying that the atomic bomb cloud looks like cotton candy. Yes, yes. And it's just such an odd, odd line, you know? Yes. But, but also it- like literally true. I mean, she's not wrong. Like it mm-hmm. does look like cotton candy. And also like what a perfect sort of encapsulation of what, how, how distant the reality of what that image is for a child like Mac. All she mm-hmm. can see is cotton candy. All she can see is something that's sweet and innocent and and food, her favorite thing that like, you know, by the way, if I was one of, I'm sure that that's part of the fun of this movie for the, the types, you know, I think that probably it's like, okay, so it's not like a three-dimensional character or whatever, but I also think that lots of kids could be like, oh, you're like this one. You're like this one. I'm like this one, you know, and I'm, I'm Mac for sure. Like, oh yes. I'm hypoglycemic. So I'm Mac by genetics, you know, like I'm thinking about food (laughs) all the time. I'm thinking, where is my next food? Do I have snacks? Am I, is my blood sugar? Okay. So like, yeah, I, I, I will say, and like, this is, you know, this is so much a part of me. It's the, you know, the Polish culture is like very celebratory of food too. And that's very mm-hmm. much like a, a language and a love language. But as an example, there was a local robbery a few weeks ago from the neighborhood pool of 300 and some hot dogs. And I can't tell you how many people sent that story to me and said, was this you? <laughs> They're onto you. Oh, that's funny. So I'm definitely Mac, but 
what was I saying? Uh, oh, the the cloud. Yes, it's just yeah. It, they they have no idea. They have no idea, and it it seems like yeah, some that that like she died and she's a ghost and everything, but like that idea of like that trauma just. It's unforgivable that she would think that it's cotton candy, mm-hmm. you know, so they all have to, they all have to go, <laughs> <You know? laughs> they all have to go. <laughs> you know, something I've thought about a lot in terms of relationships is just like how women lose their identity sometimes, you know, when we get in a long, we, we, we become sure. about our partner's needs and lives. And I love how this film really lays that out. Like mom and the aunt are yes. like. That's their role. They're mom. Yep. They are aunt. And but like all the young girls, they're melody, they're fantasy. They're yes. Mom, they're sweet. They're Mac. They're Kung Fu. They're gorgeous. Yes. Like they all have these really distinct, unique identities and are are pursuing their passions. Yes. And their friends respect and honor their passions. Like, oh, that's your thing, Melody. Or like that's you know, play some music to cheer us up, Melody. We know that's your strength and we're really scared right now. Like our community like values this of you and like needs that of you. Like you have this to to contribute and bring to the table. Like I love that even after like poor fantasy, you know, the whole time, like this is a haunted house, you guys, we got to get out of here. And they're all like, no, you're just being silly. And then eventually they're like, you were right. Like they yeah. literally <laughs> say, you were right. This is a haunted house. Yeah. <laughs> like so straightforward, but also like, yep, yes, you, you saw it. Um, and that is what you are good at. Yes, you were right. <laughs> you're correct. This is haunted. <laughs> yeah. I, I also feel like the film at first I was like, wait a minute, the spinster's power comes from the cat uh-huh. and she's killing all the young women. Like uh-huh. I feel attacked, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> but then I was like, wait, no, it's actually kind of poking fun at that heteronormativity and like especially the scene with um what Mr. Toto the gym teacher oh yes in fantasy which first off mm, bad you know like yeah yeah teacher thing yeah yeah but like then when he picks her up on the horse and her in fantasy's fantasy and then it says the end but then it like the film malfunctions yes and it's like nope 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 uh I loved that so much yes I like that the film it's it's totally conceivable that for fantasy her fantasy looks something like that and I love that it is like a movie you know because of course it's going to be but it's like her her fantasy looks this way it's really silly the film scratches or whatever but also like if we anyone outside of that watching this man he's like bumbling around you know uh, turns idiot. into a pile of bananas <laughs> at the end, you know, like that's... Thwarted by a cat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, I forgot the cat trips him. I forgot how badly the cat trips him at the beginning. And it's a really almost like like Chaplin or Buster Keaton, the, him like moving around on the ground like that. Um, yeah, there are certain parts where it felt like a monkeys episode. Did you ever watch that show? Oh, yes. Like, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's so yeah. Well, right down to Mr. Togo's uh chops, you know, he's got the Yes. Um, who is it? Mike that has the chops? It's Mike. Mike oh Nesmith yeah, yeah, with yeah. The hat. With yep, the he's got the hat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Love that look. I love the music too in this movie. I think the music is really fun. It's so fun. And at certain points I had to like question myself, like, is this a horror movie? Like the whole train <laughs> scene and like Oh, it's so good. 
the um the scene where they're making shoes and that's actually the daughter like yes. so cute yes yes no and i think that was another choice on his part the guy who plays the fruit vendor i'm pretty sure was a classical composer who composed the piano theme that's sort of like oh my god like it sounds like eric satie or something like it's kind of like that you know it kind of walks down the keys like that there's there's that and then there's like the rest of the music that's very modern for the time mm -hmm. and he asked like a band that was that was just new like we need this kind of music on the movie like we need you to we need like music that young people would enjoy you know um you guys are new you guys seem cool. Come come be the soundtrack for my movie. Yeah. And weirdly, I'm the soundtrack came out like years before. I don't know if it would. I know they were in production for two years. But before the movie ever came out, a radio drama came out. Two mangas came out. The soundtrack came out. A novelization came out. Like all these things came out before the movie came out. So the soundtrack actually happened like before the movie. But it was already it was already popular. So wow. that was another like choice where an interesting trajectory. Yeah. Well, the reason why is because the studio wouldn't, the studio wanted him to make a movie, the studio greenlit the movie, but they wouldn't make it. Hmm. They were like, no one wants to do it because no one wants to direct it because no one wants to direct this crazy thing that you've proposed. And he was like, but the studios definitely greenlit it. Okay. He made new business cards saying this studio is going to Toho Studio is going to make house. It's forthcoming. And so they were able to like generate all this anticipation with these other art forms years before the movie actually came out. Wow. Very that's smart. Amazing. Yeah. Talk about believing in your vision. <laughs> I know. I just I just love that. I I think I already loved this movie so much and finding out more about it in that short making of I was like I didn't think I could love this movie anymore than I already do when I when I find out that like the spirit of fun that the movie like is just you know exudes in every way like was also truly a part of its making that's just great to mm -hmm. know because sometimes you you like a piece of art and then you find out the terrible things that happen oh, to make it and you're like oh okay well but that's not don't listen to it. comedy anymore oh I know I know just kidding. There's lots of great people out there. That true, true. Predators. Yeah. Uh, the the other big theme that jumped out at me was this idea of the cool aunt. Did you have a cool aunt when you were little? Yeah, she was actually my um my great aunt. But yes, I did have a cool aunt. She didn't like eat eyeballs, but you know she was pretty cool. <laughs> that you know of. <laughs> that I know of. Yeah. No, but she like traveled all over, and she was always. She just knew how to talk to everybody. There are so many difficult people in my family and everybody loved her because she made everybody. She really wanted to know what you cared about and really brought that out in conversation. She was uh, so she was cool because she was like a good person, but she also was cool because she traveled the world and was always like just interested in learning new things and new experiences. And she always encouraged that in others. So I think I think that was uh, yeah, she was like. Probably the coolest person in my family, for sure. That's awesome. So the cool aunt here, the cool aunt living alone, has badass cat. Mm -hmm. Beautiful house, doing Beautiful her own house. thing. Appliances um, that listen to her. Yeah, she can like travel through her fridge, which is pretty cool. And a skeleton that dances with her, you know, pretty cool aunt. <laughs> yeah, and like, I love when she gets up 
out of the chair and they're like wait you can walk and she's like oh um you gave me energy just having you all here <laughs> not yeah. because I ate one or two of your friends already <laughs> which I think is so funny too because like the timeline of it I'm pretty sure she would be like late 40s right like mm -hmm. to me such an invalid like yeah. I'm in my 40s I'm like hey <laughs> yes yeah I know I know I know. Oh, she's unmarried. She's so she's, old. Yes, yeah, she's just <laughs> feeble with heart sick. Uh, it's really just, yeah, I, I. that's another thing that's really, that kind of made me laugh this time around is like, they go into the house and it's like covered with cobwebs and everything, but they're so, the city versus country theme is definitely another thing where they're, oh, yes. you know, explaining like, the well and how the, the pe people used to do this all the time. This is how they, this is what fridges used to look like, you know, like, mm -hmm. don't be silly. This is how they did it, you know, and isn't it fun and cool that we get to do it this time while we're on our little trip, mm -hmm. but they, they come into the house and everything's like noticeably it's been sitting around for a while with some cobwebs, but they're, first of all, they're so polite and they're so excited that they it's that could have been like a warning already, but it it doesn't register. It's like, just oh, it's like just country. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love the country. Oh, you know, it just needs it's a, I think one of them, I think uh sweet says like, oh, I don't mind cleaning. Like I love to clean. I, I she's excited about the opportunity that there's mm -hmm. a little bit of dust for her to clear, you know. Yeah. It's quite a lot, but he doesn't <laughs> see it that way, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So what were your favorite parts of this movie? I love that whole wackadoo end scene with the cat spraying blood. And I mean, that <laughs> the first time I watched this movie, no doubt that was I was just like, there's more like everything, mm -hmm. just the the like volume of blood, the the cat who doesn't love a haunted painting. I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> always there for that. And just like the the sort of maximalism of the scene of just like all the blood, all the stuff, all the um, special effects. I love that scene. I will say the mirror scene really kind of got me this time. I don't remember. It kind of feels like I didn't see. I know I've seen this movie so many times, but it feels like that scene didn't have the impact that it did until this watching where like gorgeous is so... She's upset about everything that's happened. She has a solution. She's a little defiant. She's going to have, she's going to get what she wants and go to her aunt's house and it's going to be wonderful. All her friends will be there. And she's so assured of like her decision, but she has no idea the danger that she's putting herself into. And when she's, you know, playing, I think another theme is as a, one of our greatest philosophers, Britney Spears said, I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. You know, mm -hmm. that's another theme in this movie. And that scene where she's she's putting on the lipstick in the mirror, she's dressing up and she sees her aunt and her reflection sort of turn ghoulish and she sort of puts the pieces together. You know, I've been waiting for you for all this time, gorgeous. Just mm -hmm. you, I've been waiting for so long. She sort of realizes like, oh, I've just like walked into this trap and she's like lost almost immediately. Like her, her image gets, you know, superimposed with flames. She just she just goes away. She just burns up. I, I That was really kind of very spooky and very sad this time around for me that like she knows the moment when the other girls sort of get like attacked by objects and it feels really physical, but her mm -hmm. being eaten by the house seems very psychological and you can see her, her loss of herself. Like you can see her realize she's going to be lost, you know? Mm-hmm. 
that felt for it's also just like a super cool scene like she's got like the cat mouth in the in the mirror for a second like it's all really quick I kind of um I should have watched it again after watching it um like because it's it's a pretty quick succession of images but it's like her then it's her aunt then it's her face ghoulish then it's her aunt's face ghoulish then her aunt is like clearly her reflection whatever she's doing is she's seeing her aunt and seeing herself that's just like fracturing of the self you know <laughs> yeah i wonder if it's also a statement of like we become our older family members you know sure <laughs> we certainly we certainly do yeah, it's like she hasn't thought this whole time. Why hasn't my dad reached out to my aunt? Why hasn't like I guess he could not know that she's dead out there. I also I also couldn't help but think this time around like oh they just let them all go. I guess there's a family an elderly family member there who's like trusted who's going to be so I guess the dad must not know that she's dead because otherwise why would he let her go there? Yeah. And but you would also be like, wow, she's going to take all seven of you. Like, yep. That's yep. a lot. Yep. Yeah. Typical Does she dad have room. Yeah. <laughs> no, but she, yeah, I think it's she wants so badly to be connected with her mom. And like, that's the family member she wants to become. There's all those mm -hmm. scenes where she's already like mothering. She's, you know, she's fixing her dad's shirt. She's mm -hmm. like coming into this role that like, obviously she's not going to be his wife, but she, she's getting into this idea of like what her mom would do and like what she will do. And it turns out that's not who the older family member she's going to be like at all. It's the aunt who's yeah. alone with the cat and the house. Bah, bah, bah. Yep. <laughs> uh, I loved so much about this movie. I think my favorite part was just how much fun the ant head tormenting them like oh yeah her asides directly to the camera yes and like prancing around the house dancing with the skeleton and like the music number with the cat playing the piano like i oh, never I love want to not be watching that yes <laughs> yes love every minute of that yeah the the eyeballs for poor fantasy oh, gets yeah. like the best show of all you know she's she's already sure because she saw a human head Mm -hmm. Max head she's she's sure of it she knows what she saw but everyone else is like it couldn't possibly be she's just out eating somewhere she'll come back you know yeah. and then the aunt just like looking right at her and slurping up these eyeballs <laughs> I love to like it's a fun visual she like opens her mouth at the eyeballs and then looks and the eyeballs look and then they look the other direction like it's a fun little spooky moment it really uh, is oh but yeah she she's definitely having the most fun that she's had in years with these young girls mm -hmm. <laughs> giving her so much energy Ooh, and <laughs> on a similar note i love when the new fiance comes to the house and it's like you can really tell like all of his work on commercials where the the wind is like blowing her <laughs> scarf and everything so intense so she's like looking at a bird on her hand like in a snow white fashion she sits down and she's just like where are your friends like, mm -hmm. oh, they all get up when they're hungry. They always get up when they're like, you can tell that Gorgeous is like about to have just as much fun as the ant torturing and eating this new fiance. Mm -hmm. What do you think he's saying with that? Oh, gosh. It's fun to do bad things. Uh, I, I don't fun know. Fun to be a terror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, she is like, 
She's trapped in the house, but she is with all of her friends. And she does have like, it sounds wicked to say, but like, she did not want that. I also love how the dad is like, she's going to be your mom. Is that oh, cool? Yeah. You haven't met her at all. Not like, met her this in Italy. Is my, yeah, <laughs> this is my partner. And, you know, she's going to be around. It's like straight from hello. She's your new mom. Yeah. Like, pretty brutal. So brutal. Yeah, I mean, when I think about the big war, big bomb theme, and less about the like personal reasons she would have for wanting to destroy this woman, it does just seem like this is a cycle that keeps repeating, or like these um, ruined or monstrous futures don't just like end; they just keep proliferating because this event. We can pres- like we can assume that the mom could have died because of TB or cancer or like some other something related to the war it's never said but like that's certainly seems like a strong possibility Mm -hmm. she was a young woman she died tragically young so when i think about like i said earlier when i was kind of sort of having the reaction you were having to like the spinster with the cat is evil kind of thing like how dare you also the idea (laughs) that like if you're unmarried you're if you're an unmarried young girl then like you're in a spot of danger like the fiance also is but at the same time, like the more the theme that makes more sense with everything in the movie is that like war ruins these futures and that they're you could call it intergenerational trauma or just like just like the reverberations of that continue. It's not just the the people who directly died in the war or like from the bomb. Um, the damage will like keep going. The cycle like the house will keep going. And it means that people who it's it's important that it's people who don't deserve it because it's it's that kind of terror like makes it more horrific i yeah exactly exactly like they're unsuspecting and they're innocent in their way the fiance is definitely presented as an innocent figure she's not she's not presented as like a i'm your dad's new wife but i'm here to you know like they could have presented her in a much different way but she's very understanding of how gorgeous reacts to her she also says like I'm going to need some time to think about this, like our marriage, because this is a lot. You know, she says to the dad, like, this is this is a lot I'm stepping into. And I totally understand where Gorgeous is coming from. And also, like, I'm still kind of having second thoughts about this or I need to figure this out. She's a very sympathetic character. And I think that's really we don't want her to come to harm. And Mm -hmm. I think that that connects to that larger theme of like. None of these people deserved any of this, you know. Mm-hmm. But hey, you know, come to the countryside and get married. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh no, return to the countryside. Return, get return, married. return. Yeah. Well, I, I think that was a beautiful summation of the film. Did you have any other final thoughts on House? It really bugs me when people get hung up on that doesn't look real or that (laughs) what like that that kind of attitude towards movies in particular I feel like are the art form where people there is like a cultural preference for drama tragedy realism especially like in the tradition of American movie making I feel like with the method and everything which I have lots of problems with I I just love how much this film celebrates everything that isn't that and I encourage people to like loosen up and like watch more movies that just like did you like the way it looked sometimes like did you have an experience that only a movie could give you 
I think sometimes movies and especially horror movies are really good at doing that. And um, I love to learn a lesson. Obviously, there's lots of great themes in this movie, but even just the aesthetic experience in itself is how do you how do you explain this movie to someone that is part of its joy and part of its value to me? Yeah. Like is just the the play of the visual experience. And I think that I am all for that in movies, in horror movies, whether they be aimed at children or adults. Like I think the unruliness of this movie is not just what makes it special. It's also like what its strength is. Mm -hmm. So Beautifully put. Thanks. I thoroughly enjoyed watching it and talking about it with you. Thank you for being on the pod. Thank you for having me. I love getting to talk about this movie. (laughs) What do you got going on that people should know about? (laughs) I've been uh, more on the farm than on the stage the last couple of months because it is the heat of, you know, the growing season. I will be doing more shows as we get into the fall. And the first one that I have on the books is on September 14th. It is the Friends of P variety show at the White Rabbit Cafe in Indianapolis. Um, this Friends is of a... P, like the song? <laughs> I don't know this song. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm old. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I may, I'll look it up though. I'll learn. Yeah, you'll like it. It's uh, Jonathan Fenler, comedian, uh, performer of many talents. He's the P that... Oh, I'm sure it's like a variety show where people play characters, but they also play break the fourth wall and um, are themselves on stage. I am looking forward to doing this because I haven't done this show before, but I love doing character stuff at the White Rabbit. And I will be resuming a character, Bristol Whippet, a, a voiceover artist whose smooth voice is at odds with her chaotic life, which is not unlike, she's probably the character I've played that is most like me. Oh, really? Can I, can we hear Bristol, like say a sentence? I mean, she just uses the lower registers of her voice to talk about, (laughs) you know, a horse tranquilizer medicine in a way that sounds relaxing and perhaps (laughs) sexual, a way that you wouldn't think horse medicine should sound. Like QAnon NPR. I love it. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, QAnon NPR. Ooh, that's Uh, a potent mix. Yeah, fantastic. (laughs) Well, we'll have all the links to Natalie's socials in the episode so you can give her a follow. Natalie, thank you so much for being on the podcast tonight. Thanks, Kristen. It was a joy. Yeah, that's Natalie Bainter. I've been Kristen Lighty, and this has been Bloody Mary. Have a good night. Why are you creeping?